0: don't know this, but while you're worshiping, we've been taking pictures of you and we're going to send you a nine by 11 photo of what you look like when you sing. And uh, I just want to say this, we have so much reason, so many reasons to be able to come to church this morning with uh, the not just joy in our heart, but the expression of joy. Do y'all know? that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God who is in, if you are in Christ Jesus, that there is absolutely nothing going on in the world that can take away the identity of who you are in Christ. It doesn't matter how high the gas prices get. Some of you are probably just upset at how much it costs to get to church today. But that's all right. We are here, and God has so blessed us in the beloved of Christ And uh, we have reason this morning to be uh, excited, to have joy. And so put smiles on your faces. It's okay to do that. And uh, it's okay to uh, show those pearly white teeth while we are in church service. Go ahead and take your Bibles and open them up with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to cover a large section this morning. So we're going to move through it rather quickly. And so uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. And then uh, Brother Britt next week is going to be preaching uh, on the Good Samaritan. So he'll follow up uh, this, this sermon with, with, uh, with what comes next. And so i um, looking forward to uh, praying for him this week as he prepares uh, for that message. I know he's already been preparing. January 2007... I stepped foot for the very first time onto the campus of Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary as a student. One of the first classes that I took as a brand new student at Mid-America was entitled Personal Evangelism, and it was taught by the founder of Mid-America, Dr. Gray Allison. Dr. Gray Allison, for those of you who might know him, how many of you, by the way, know Dr. Gray Allison? Do you, you remember him? How many of you ever got to hear him preach? A few of you. Uh, he was a man, if you knew him, filled with passion for people who were lost. He, he was even more passionate about the gospel and he was even more passionate about his relationship with Jesus Christ. He was a man who, uh, he 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 was a man who just had a way of saying a few things and melting your heart. He was no doubt a a man that I admire and look up to. Uh, it was one of the most difficult classes I took while I was at seminary, every single day. Brother Britt, did you have great? Did you have Dr. Allison? Every single day we had to memorize scripture and we had to write it out. He would say, take out a half sheet of paper and you had to take it out and tear it apart and you had to write your name in a particular place on the paper and you had to write out verbatim in the King James Version... The Bible verses that you memorized, each word was worth five points. And so every day, uh, all year long, or all through that, that, that semester, we were memorizing Scripture and we had to come and write them. And here's why. Dr. Gray wanted us to have an absolute dependence on the Word of God as we went out and shared the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He would teach and he would sit on the front desk and he would just kind of fold his hands and he would begin to talk about the lost people of the world. And he went, I believe, through every single state and nation over the course of the year. And he would say, Memphis, Tennessee is lost. You're driving down the freeway and all those people driving beside you they are lost you go to the mall and see the vast number of people they're lost you go to the park to enjoy a day with your family and you see all the people memphis is lost they'd move out from memphis tennessee is lost Mississippi is lost. And as he began to talk, there were times when he would just have to stop because the more he would begin to reflect, and the more you begin to get your mind and the the visual effect of what he was saying as you're thinking about driving down the freeway and going to the mall and going to the store, and all the people around you are lost. He would just stop and begin to weep over the lostness of people. And I prayed, Lord, give me that passion. Give me that passion for the lost. Jesus had compassion. He would weep over the lostness that He saw. There are two parts in this text of the section that we're looking at. There is a section where Christ is sending out. And there is a section when they are returning, coming back. Sending them out with the gospel. The kingdom of God was their message to go and Preach that the kingdom has come bodily in Jesus Christ and He is the King in this kingdom. He is the Savior of the world. He is the fulfillment of what prophets and kings had prophesied. He was the desire of their message. Go and preach the gospel. And so we see that in our text this morning. That God is sending out His disciples, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, to preach the good news of Jesus. Let me say something. Being a Christian is more than just emulating the character of Christ. Being a Christian means being subservient and obeying the words that He taught. So, we're not just emulating good behavior. We're not just doing good things. We are living a life of obedience with joy to be obedient to the things that He taught us to do. In earlier sections, we've already preached where Jesus sent out the 12. But in this section, we see that He is sending out the 70. It depends on which translation you're looking at. I read from the ESV and it says that he sent out the 72. Uh, But some translations, depending on which manuscript they translate from, say 70. But what Luke is showing us here in this first section, the sending out, is a few principles of evangelism. So, I want us to think as Christians this morning who both emulate and live in obedience to Christ about evangelism, about going out and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. There are some principles here that Luke uh, states for us. Verse 10, he talks about the appointment of the 70. But I want us to start with verse 2. It says, "...the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few." Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into... Church, whose harvest? His harvest. God is sending us out into this harvest and He's making it very clear. It's more than you can do. It's too vast You are outnumbered. It is so massive, it's overwhelming. Dr. Gray would give us that global vision of lostness, and you begin to think, I'm just one person. God knows this, and that's why He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would raise up laborers and send them into that harvest. So He's showing us here the massiveness of this field. The lostness. Of the world. And so we need to pray that God would raise up laborers and send them into the harvest. It is the Lord's harvest. These are people who belong to Him that we are going out to find. I want you to think of it like this DeSoto County, I'm going to use Dr. Gray's words, is lost. There are over 200,000 people that live in DeSoto County. It's a lot of people. Now that I want you to think of this, you and I have brothers and sisters who have not yet heard the gospel and given their lives to Jesus Christ. That we need to go out and and see them as those that need to hear the gospel to go into Desoto County and reach Desoto County with the gospel. It's a lot of people, Brother Greg, 200,000 people. Yes, that's why we pray that the Lord of the harvest will raise up laborers and send them in. We don't do this as a solo act, do we? We need help. We need to be praying. They got to be raising up people. By the way, we're not the only church in DeSoto County. We, we have brothers and sisters who also desire to reach DeSoto County where the lost and we need to pray for those brothers and sisters uh, in our churches around us here that they'll also desire to go out and reach the lost of DeSoto County. Labors are few. This is a massive work and we need help. So we pray. <laughs> Not only is evangelism a massive work, it's also a dangerous work. Look at verse 3 of our text. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a battle between a sheep and a wolf? If you have, it didn't last very long. Do you know why? Sheep have no defense mechanism, they don't have sharp teeth, they can't outrun anything, they just stand there and get eaten. They are defenseless. And he is showing us here that this is a defenseless task. In other words, we're not going out to fight and argue the gospel, we're not going out to debate the gospel. We're going out with the gospel and in the strength of Jesus Christ and in his power. It is not our power. We don't have anything to offer to sharing the gospel but the gospel. That's it. And so we go out with this. And by the way, that's enough. This doesn't mean that we are going out to fail. It means we are going out as conquerors through Jesus Christ. Let me read you a verse in Romans chapter 8, 36 through 37. It says, as, as it is written, for your sake we are being what all day long? Slaughtered, killed, all day long. Why? Because we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's how we are. No. In other words, not so. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So yes, we go out in the world to a world that's lost, a a world that needs to hear the gospel. We go out defenseless, but we do not go out as those who are being defeated. We go out as conquerors through Jesus Christ. We are outnumbered, but we are conquering through Jesus Christ. In other words, this is a task that we do not do in our strength. It is a task we do in the strength of God or those of you when we talk about evangelism and sharing the gospel that it makes you very uptight and fearful because you think man I don't know I can't go out I don't have I don't even know what to say I get nervous I get clammed up to talk about spiritual things with people you're like a sheep among wolves but we go out in the victory of Christ and in his strength dependent upon him. He reinforces that with what he says in verse four, carry no money back, carrying no knapsack, and no sandals. Now, he's not talking about sending these people across the road, is he, from their house. He's talking about sending them away from their family, their home, and their, their possessions. And see, he says, go depending upon the Lord. You see, evangelism in no uncertain terms, as it's described by Christ, is not something that we can accomplish on our own. It's not something we can accomplish in the own strength and power of our own intelligence and wit. And it is not something that we go out in any way dependent upon ourselves. We depend on God. And in this list of prohibitions, he also says this and greet no one. That means when we leave here, we just don't look at anybody. No, that's not what that means. What's he talking about? What does this mean? Well, he's talking about those who are other believers. In other words, don't get sidetracked fellowshipping with a bunch of your brothers and sisters along the way that you lose sight of the mission. By the way, there are churches who have done this. We love fellowship, we have lots of them. But churches can literally fellowship themselves to death. Because if all we ever do is stay inward, we we'll never go out, we will die. You see, this is a a way God has meant for his bride to survive, his body to live, perpetually through the gospel. And so he's saying here, don't get sidetracked. Stay focused on the mission of the kingdom. In Calvary Baptist Church, we should be and stay focused on the mission that Christ has called for us. That's why I go back to what we do every Sunday when we start our services. We wanna remind you that we are partnering together, we are doing missions, but we need to even take this more personal than just hearing it from the pulpit. We need to take it personal and go across the street to our neighbors and to different places within DeSoto County and around our area. And if God even is calling some of you away from here, go and preach the gospel. Don't get tied up and just stay in ourselves and in our bubbles. Look at what he says, verses five through nine. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. In other words, for that one, you knock on their door and you share the reconciliation, the gospel of reconciliation with them and they receive the peace of Christ. Christ it will rest upon them and in that house. But if not, if they reject that message, it will return to you. It will not stay with them. It will leave with you and remain. And he says, though, and remain in the same house. Talking about that one who is a son of peace. Stay with them. Eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, Thy king, The kingdom of God has come near to you. We need to know something about the gospel. It's a dagger, it's a two edged sword. It is meant to divide. And what God is doing with the gospel is he is separating the wheat from the tares, he's separating the sheep from the goats. It is a division. It is a creating division. So when you share the Gospel and those who respond in faith, these are who we see as sons and daughters of peace. God's Word tells us that He has made peace with us through His Son. His is a Gospel of reconciliation. God wants peace. But those who reject the Gospel... When the gospel is presented, they say, I don't want that. Well, that peace leaves with them and it will continue with you. You continue to go and share the gospel. Let me say this. For those who never accept the gospel, they will live their entire lives at war with God, having never made peace with Him through the gospel of His dear Son. But when you do find that one who is receptive, he says here, remain with them. Luke says, eat and drink whatever they provide. And that sounds simple enough, right? Sounds simple enough, just eat whatever they provide. Have you ever been to another culture? Have you ever been to another country in anybody's home? And I, I have eaten things before that I didn't know what it was. So it can be a very daunting task, but I think this has a little bit more to do than just with the type of food that they are providing. I think it connotes that. In other words, don't go looking for the richest and wealthiest people to go and enjoy their food, the better food, the feasts. No, he's saying here, obviously, we're not a respecter of persons with who we share the gospel with. We don't look at what type of house people live in. We don't look at what type of cars they drive. If they even have a house or if they even have a car. No, he's saying here ultimately that we do not show respect toward any one particular group or people. We go and we share the gospel to all people. But I think it connotes something else even more important here. Don't leave that person that you just shared the gospel with stranded. Go into their home and disciple them. And going through their home and through them and their relationship, share the gospel with even more people. Every person you win to the Lord Jesus Christ with the gospel of Jesus Christ has friends who are lost, and neighbors who are lost, and family who's lost. And so he's saying there to disciple them, but use them also as that venue to share the gospel with more people. <laughs> By the way, don't detach yourself from what I'm saying. Remember, you heard the gospel somehow. Somebody shared the gospel with you. Historically speaking, there have been people through the year shared the gospel, shared the gospel, shared the gospel, and somehow it landed to you. I believe in within God's providence, but don't lose sight that you're part of the story of the gospel. So evangelism, we see thus far, is a massive task. In your flesh, it is an impossible task. It is a dependent task. We are dependent upon the Lord, but it's also a rewarding task. And that's what this is speaking of. I I really believe, Brother Matt, that the greatest sense of joy next to my own salvation is watching somebody else come to faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing like it when you see somebody broken and receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ and surrender and repent of their sins to the Lord. It is a beautiful thing to see. And so it's rewarding. Building brothers and sisters in the faith and then developing those relationships, watching God work in their lives. What a reward. Let's continue to move on. Look at verses 10 through 12. It says, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about the dust off of your feet, sharing the gospel, they don't receive it, knock it off. He says, here, wipe it off. What is God doing? He is collecting evidence. He is collecting evidence that will be used against you on the day of the Lord to show you how close the gospel came to you, how near it came to you, and you said no. You rejected that gospel. That dust Will be gathered up. And on the day in which you say, But Lord, I didn't know. Lord, I I never heard. That dust will be presented in front of you as evidence against you. This is how close it was to you. And you said no. There are those who come to church in the state of Mississippi every single Sunday and hear the gospel and never receive it. So close. So close. But never receive it. They've even tasted the goodness of the Lord. They've had emotional experiences, but never accepted what His Son did on their behalf. Jesus said that it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom than for those who reject the Gospel. You know, one of the things that often is done in, in Christian circles is, man, we talk about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. We talk about how wicked and, and how evil it is. And by the way, it, it, there is sin. There is sin there for certain. But do you know what he says here? You know what is a greater sin than immorality, than sexual immorality, than murder? It is the sin of unbelief. It is a sin of rejection. And so he turns here. He's having this conversation with his disciples. And he turns to the surrounding areas there. He's sending them out into. And he pronounces a woe, a warning upon those surrounding cities. And he says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For, it, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable in the day, in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects me, and the one, and the one who rejects me, uh, rejects him who sent me. You see, here is something important about the gospel. The gospel comes with judgment. It's, a, it's connected to judgment. Uh, this is probably the most unpopular in our culture today, the most unpopular part of a lot of preaching. But because of that, a lot of preaching has shifted. A lot of preaching has stopped uh, including judgment in their gospel. In fact, right now, in our own time zone, some uh, a little bit ahead of us and some who will be preaching here here shortly on the West Coast, there will be preachers who will give this general, bland view of the gospel and then they will say, why don't you just make Jesus your best friend? He just wants to be your best friend today. Without any warning of judgment. Jesus himself is pronouncing the judgments. That there is ju- there's a reason that Jesus died. Think about that. Did Jesus die just to be your best friend? He died because you are a sinner separated from God because of that sin. And he has made atonement in himself through the cross Jesus gives this warning. He announces judgment to the masses who reject him. And their judgment is not upon their sin as much as it is upon their rejection, their unbelief. So don't fool yourself into thinking that because you're not as bad as some people that God will be a little bit more gracious to you on that day. If you do not accept the gospel, you are worse than any other immoral person according to what we see in this text. And don't miss verse 16. The one who hears you hears me and and the one who rejects you rejects me and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. To reject God's gospel through His disciples is to reject Christ Himself. And, and we, we see so often that, that people want to disconnect themselves from the church. I, I don't need the church. I just need God. God's all I need. And there's a truth to that. But God has used his church as an agent to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's something special about those with whom God uses to go out and preach the gospel. And so the disciples are going into these cities and they're going to this home. There's a total of 30 or 32 groups here or 37 groups going out into uh, these massive numbers of people. And he's telling them to go out, but the people are responding and they're not responding. Some are rejecting, some are accepting They're going out defenseless. They're going out to, they're not going out to fight and argue about what they believe against others' beliefs. They're just going and presenting the gospel and letting people be faced with their decisions through that. And they're going out with humility and they're going out with dependence They're going out trusting in God and not trusting in themselves, not trusting in their money, not trusting in their wit and their intelligence and their comforts. They're trusting in the Lord for this endeavor. They're going out with the gospel and they're focused on the mission. So the question is, okay, so God is sending them out. They're going out and all of this is happening. How successful were they? This gets into now the return, the second section. Look at verses 17 through 20. It says the 72 returned with joy. They returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall from heaven. And behold, I I, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In seminary we would have what was called report hour and during report hour they had a mic set up here in the front of the in front of the sanctuary and people would come down out of their seats, and they would stand at the mic, and they would share their gospel witness. They would talk about going into a hospital. They would talk about uh, meeting somebody at the car rental place, or somebody they ran into at the store, or uh, something, uh, someone who walked uh, toward, came to them at the end of a church service and gave their life to Christ. I'm not going to lie, some of those testimonies were amazing. I mean, it was just remarkable to hear what God was doing. And you almost kind of got a sense that every time you went to the mic, you had to kind of have a little better testimony than ever somebody else, you know. You had to try to one-up that. But, but, But it was still a lot of fun. It was a lot of joy that came from getting to hear those testimonies. And God did amazing things. These disciples returned with some amazing stories. They come back and they're like, gosh, you're you're not going to believe what happened, man. God just showed up and did a remarkable thing. And God does remarkable things when we go out and witness. It is absolutely a wonderful thing and it's wonderful to come back and brag on what God did. No doubt all of that is true. But I want you to notice what Jesus is saying. He was saying, it's kind of like this. Well, of course. Of course that happened. I mean, I, I, was, I was there when Satan lost his position. He, he lost his authority. I watched him fall like lightning from heaven. I mean, it was a swift, hard fall. And, and, and aside from that, I have given you the authority to go out and do amazing things. So yeah, no wonder. But guys, don't, don't get caught up in where you're getting your joy from. Your joy isn't found in what you do for me. The source of your joy is what I have done for you. You, you see, this is the true source of joy. Uh, salvation, not service, is our true source of joy. It's, it's where we find the, uh, the, 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 the nature of, of what gives us the greatest satisfaction? It's not in what I do for God. It's in what God has done for me. And, and sometimes I think we miss this. I think that we think that, man, I, I'm, I'm miserable because I'm not doing anything from the Lord. No, you're miserable because you're not remembering what God has done for you. You forgot. J- David talked about, joy, Lord, restoring the joy of thy salvation. There is joy that comes from what God has done in our lives. So he's saying, don't don't get this mixed up with service. Don't get salvation and service mixed together. And don't forget, it is what I have done for you. There are a lot of things that give me joy. My wife gives me joy. I love being with Ryan. My children give me joy. I love when we get to have family time and getting to be with my kids. I get joy from going to the beach. I'm a beach bum. I love it. There, I, I love. Hunt, I get joy from hunting. I, I just, there's things that give me joy. The church, being here, getting to preach gives me joy. Being with all of you, my brothers and sisters, gives me joy. But let me just say this. There's nothing in the world that gives me joy like knowing my name is written in heaven. There's nothing that gives me joy more than what Christ has done for me. Everything else will fail. But what Christ did for me Will never fail. It will continue into eternity. That is and has to remain the greatest source of our joy. Let's finish it up here in verses 21 through 24. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows who the son is except the father or who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. I love, this is probably the most theological and Christiological passage. First of all, it's filled with the vision of the Trinity. Notice what he says is Jesus to send the incarnate son praying in the spirit to the father. It doesn't get more Trinitarian than that. And so we see the Trinitarian God at work here in this text. And he's thanking God for what? Special revelation. That God has self-disclosed himself in the word of God. Jesus is saying that he is God. It is highly Christological. He is making this statement that Jesus, in fact, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. What is Jesus saying? that he's like God? No, he is making a dogmatic, affirmative theological statement, a bedrock to our faith that Jesus is in fact God. And he turns to his disciples and he says, everyone who is able to see that truth, everyone who can see that I am the the self-disclosure of who, who the Father is, that I am God, everyone who sees that is blessed. Because by knowing that, you know who he is. You know why he's came. You know he is the one who from prophets of old has been prophesied about. And he's saying everyone who hears this truth, sees this truth, knows this truth, they are blessed because there have been many prophets from years past, many kings from years past. They wanted to see this day and they died before it came. But for those of you who see it, Those of you who know who Jesus is, who God incarnate is, you are blessed. Notice though it says that Jesus has not revealed this to everyone. There are those who are the wise and the educated that this has not been revealed to. He's talking about those who are wise and educated in the word. Those who break the, the, the they, they conjugate all the, the, the Greek verbs to a T, they know how to, to recite Hebrew, and they can do all these amazing things in the Word. And he said, they can know the Bible inside and out and never know Jesus Christ. There are liberal theologians today who know way more about this Bible than I do, but they know less about this Bible than I do because they don't know Jesus There are those who outright deny the fact that Jesus is God. They they deny the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. They deny the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. They deny the trinity of Jesus Christ, but they're educated. They're smart. They know languages. They know all these things, but he's saying, yet they don't know Jesus. They missed it. But he says to the simple minded. I know who Jesus is based on this text because God has revealed it to me. You see, you and I do not come to know who Jesus is on the basis of our own understanding, our education, what we can, uh, how much uh, wisdom we think we have. That's not how one comes to the fullness of knowledge. It is through the revelation. Read it, what it says in the text. Those whom I've revealed myself to. That's what he says. And those of us who believe, uh, only believe because of this self-revelation of what God has given to us. It's a blessing. That's what he's saying. He's saying, Those of you who see it, you are blessed. And notice who he compares it to. Moses longed to see. He desired to see what you see, and he didn't see it. Jeremiah decided to see what you see, but he never saw it. David, King David, one of the greatest kings, he longed to see what you see, but he never got to see it. Micah longed to see what you see, but he didn't get to see it. What kings and prophets desire to see, you get to see, and you're blessed. You and I today, for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we get to see what so many in the Old Testament could only dream about. They long to know it, but they never got to see the fullness. You and I live in that day where Jesus has come and has revealed himself. God, by his own will, has revealed this to spiritual babies like me, somebody who's a nobody. Nobody. God has said, "You can know." And by the way, you know? Do you know? Whenever God revealed that to me, guess those of you who've heard my testimony—how old was I? How many of you remember? I've shared it a lot. I was eight years old. I was working on my PhD when I was eight years old, and God—no. Do you know what an eight-year-old knows about the Bible? as much as God chooses to reveal to that eight-year-old about the Bible. I didn't know a lot. I couldn't have, as an eight-year-old boy, articulated the things that I know today. But as a 43-year-old man, I know the same Jesus today that I knew when I was eight years old. I knew that he was the one who died for me. God had revealed that I was a sinner and I needed a savior. And at the age of eight, the best that an eight-year-old could confess Jesus Christ as his lord and savior. I knew things as an 8-year-old boy that scholars who study the Bible inside and out dissected it, knew the languages didn't know. I know the Jesus of the Bible. God is so good. And he's blessed us. And those of you today who know who Jesus Christ is, don't forget, somebody told you. Somebody went to you. Somebody came to you. It could have been a Sunday school teacher. It could have been a neighbor who visited. It could have been your mama or your daddy. It could have been your grandparent. It could have been a brother or a sister. Somebody told you. And there are people out there waiting on you to tell them to go out and tell others about this blessed news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he has done and what he's accomplished. Brother Greg, I just don't think I can do that. I'm scared, I get clammy, I don't know what to say. I'm gonna stutter all over myself. You're not going out in your power and in your strength anyway. Brother Greg, I haven't been to seminary. You're not going out in the power of your own strength. I haven't taken evangelism course. You you're not going out in the power of your own strength. You're going out in His power and in His strength to share His gospel with His sheep. They're lost and they need to be found. It's a great task. We need to be praying on our knees that the Lord of the harvest will raise up labors. But while we're praying, we need to be going. We need to be sharing the good news with those around us. And it could be that God is calling some of you here to go somewhere else. To a culture that doesn't look like you. A culture that doesn't talk like you. A culture that doesn't say y'all. Or drink sweet tea. It could be that God's calling you to a culture that says you guys's and you Who adds R's in Washington that sounds like Washington. Or to another dialect, another language across the ocean. God is calling all of us to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would help us to know this morning that You have called us to be missional. You have called us to go out to share the gospel of Christ, to go out and make disciples. And Lord, I confess before You and in the presence of my brothers and sisters this morning that I I have a lot of work to do that in that, in my own, in that in that area myself. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to find encouragement from one another. Ultimately by your word, ultimately by the joy that we have in our own salvation and the desire to go out and tell other people. Lord, help us to know that Just because there are good people all around us, good by the standards of our culture, maybe they're not in jail, maybe they're not addicted to drugs, maybe they're not living immoral lifestyles, maybe they're being faithful husbands and wives, maybe they're being good sons and daughters, doing what they're supposed to do, but they don't know Christ. Lord, help us to know what your word says, that it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for those who do not believe. God, I pray that you would help us to know that rejection is the greatest of sins. But if rejection, Lord, is the greatest of sins, then believing is the greatest of faith. Lord, I pray that if there are those here this morning who have heard the gospel today and they believe... Lord they would repent of their sins give their lives to you and follow you Mm. that they would emulate Christ and live a life of joy and obedience to your word God help us to do that help us to encourage one another help us to build each other up in the faith help us to know Lord we all have a long way to go in our own sanctification give us humility give us grace but help us Lord to go out with the gospel to all people sharing the the good news of Jesus. God bless your word today. Bless this congregation. Bless our visitors. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.